kick it. 300. 300. Get that energy up. Keep it right. Keep it tight. Welcome to episode 300. 300. Of the Design Details Podcast, I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another enormous episode with big round numbers. It's a big round number kind of episode. So we're going to self-reflect a little bit. We're going to talk about the podcast to date. I think there is, someone made a point, you know, there, there's probably some folks listening that obviously have not listened to all 300 and mm-hmm. particularly some of the earlier ones. In fact, we got some of those tweets today, people saying, you know, I just started listening 10 episodes ago. How should I get going through the back catalog? So we want to answer questions like that, but there's probably some other context missing that folks might find interesting. But more importantly, I want to talk about like the hard parts, the non-obvious parts of doing a podcast like this. Like what have been the challenges? Have we wanted to quit before? The hard things, the, yeah. the non-obvious things, because I think it'd be easy for us to sit here and sort of self-congratulate for a while, but that's probably not too interesting. <laughs> We've done such a good job, Brian. <laughs> my arm hurts from patting myself on the back. So Yeah, yeah. And I just had shoulder surgery, so it really does hurt to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So this will be mostly a self-reflective episode. We're going to we're going to talk about kind of the the history of the podcast, some of the behind the scenes stuff you might not know about, some of the problems we've run into or mostly that Brian has run into in the past and and yeah, I think it's going to be a good it's going to be a good, like, meta 300 episode. Meta episode, indeed. So before we get into that, we want to thank our sponsor, Abstract, for making this episode possible. Yes, thank you, Abstract. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. So today, most design teams work on multiple versions of the same file, and you end up often duplicating efforts, and as a result, you end up overriding and losing work. Design teams are still spending a ton of time searching for files and exporting them from one tool to another, consolidating feedback from a bunch of different sources, and you never really know what changes have been incorporated and what's been approved. And luckily, there's a solution for all of these problems and more abstract. It's like GitHub, but for design teams. It's your team's version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It brings the entire workflow into a single, unified place for designers, developers, and stakeholders within your organization to collaborate and keep the work moving forward. It is true end-to-end collaboration. Everything from versioning a design file, uh, storing it, requesting reviews, collecting feedback, presenting your work, and then when things are ready to get built, you can hand off a spec to a developer right with an abstract. And all of this is built on a platform that works both on and offline, so you can work from anywhere. Yeah, in just the last couple of years, Abstract has acquired over 100,000 users. That's people from companies like Intuit and Zappos and MailChimp, thousands of others across 75 countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. So as the roles of designers and developers and product managers, they all become more intertwined The team at Abstract believes that a more collaborative and open platform is going to enable faster production cycles. Today, Abstract seamlessly integrates with Sketch, which is a design tool choice for many of you out there. And in 2019, they're going to continue to roll out support for more and more design file types from the Adobe suite to beyond. If you want to learn more, visit abstract.com today. You can sign you and your team up for a 30-day free trial. Again, that's at abstract.com Get that 30-day free trial. Dip your toes. See what it's like. <laughs> the water's warm, y'all. Version yeah, control. Yeah. Version control is inviting. Come on Dip in. Dip them toesies. Join that version control party. 
<laughs> That's at abstract.com. Thank you so much to Abstract. Thanks, Abstract. Longtime supporter of the show. Much appreciated. Very much a longtime supporter of the show. Uh, looking back, they've been uh, with us since January of this year, and then we've had lots of Abstract folks on the podcast in the past. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big part of the show. Thank you, Abstract. It's yeah, been a good sponsor. A good sponsor, good partner, good product, good team. Indeed. All around good. I'm into it. Cool. I like good things. Okay, Marshall. Yes. Got some follow-up. Let's do it. So last week, I made you a promise. Uh-huh. A promise that I have kept. I uh-huh. promised you that I would dip my toes into that sweet, sweet lagoon called <laughs> Survivor. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> in the last episode, you recommended I start at season four. So after we recorded, sat down on the couch, popped open Hulu, scrolled down to season four. Lo and behold, season four only starts at episode three. I was like, what the fuck? Ah, no. (laughs) So yeah, just episodes one and two just don't exist on Hulu for some reason. Like maybe they're, I don't know, controversial or... (laughs) I don't don't know. I can't think of a reason because they have all other episodes of 38 seasons yeah i wonder hmm okay well that sucks i was like all right well whatever i'll I'll start at the beginning let's get some foundational knowledge built up so i just started at season one episode one and let's see here first thing i noticed the picture is a square yeah (laughs) shot four three aspect ratio four three aspect ratio a different era i was surprised that the host has been the same this whole time, Jeff Probst. I mentioned Jeff a couple times in my pitch, and I, I realized afterwards, yeah, I was referring to Jeff Probst, who is the original and current host of the show. He, I would compare him in an ability, and maybe this uh, comparison won't come across to some people, but he is the Ryan Seacrest of, of um, this type of competition show. Like, I think Ryan Seacrest is an amazing host. He does the shit live and he's always like on top of it. I mean, he's a radio host, so he has like the the background, but Jeff is just as good, but more social. So like he's able to be the mediator a lot of the times. And he's, he basically hasn't changged visual appearance in 20 years. The guy <laughs> he looks, looks the same, amazing. Dude. Yeah, it's like this guy hasn't aged. Yeah. 20 years. All right. Let me hit you with some, some initial feedback. Hit me. This is the kind of show that I find very, very entertaining because the whole time i am vicariously just projecting myself onto every one of the characters mm-hmm. what would i do in that situation i think i could have won that competition yeah here's dude. how i would strategize so the whole time you're you're not really watching you're you're fantasizing in your head about how you would do everything differently and could, could i do that like uh let's see the challenge in episode two is they ha- or episode one or two they had to eat worms or some shit i was like could I do that? Yeah, of course. I just shove them in. I, I could yeah. do that, no problem. Yeah, that's kind of the peril of, of watching the early seasons. Is that was that was when all of those reality TV shows were going on, including like Fear Factor, yeah, which was a big thing at the time where you had to eat uh, yep. stupid shit. I, I very much remember Fear Factor. Yeah, that's no longer a, a part of the show. Every once in a while, maybe they'll do that as a challenge, but it's really rare, and I think it grosses people out more than it entertains them. But yeah, yeah, maybe that's a sign of the times. Anyways, so I watched three episodes. And here's what I'm struggling with is it's all very entertaining. I enjoyed watching all of them. The pacing is a little bit slow in the sense that I feel like I kind of wish I could just jump cut from like challenge and challenge postmortem to tribal council to tribal council postmortem. Like there's so much in between stuff. And I get that that's all the relationship building stuff. It's the drama building. But a lot of the drama buildings contrived. There's a lot of B-roll. And the reason that I, I feel rushed is because there's so much to get through, I guess. Like I have this 
a little bit of a completionist thing in me. It was like, <laughs> sure. I'm going to start this. Am I going to watch all 38 seasons? And I realized that that's not practical. So I'm nervous to get more invested in it. Hmm. Okay. What I'm wondering, and then I, I was thinking, well, maybe I could just, you know, skip and start watching the latest season. But then I remembered what you said that I might miss a lot of the context of, you know, this thing is uh, a twist. This is new. This is exciting for some reason because five seasons ago this happened and I, I would miss that. So I'm not really sure what to do at this point, but I don't have that much time to dedicate to TV. So I'm trying to prioritize, but I found it entertaining. I just don't know that I can <laughs> like finish it. Do you know? Yeah. Nor do I think you should. I, th- I think there's certainly seasons that are better, better than others. And if you do finish the first season, I would encourage you to jump to maybe the most recent one. Okay. Because, well, it actually might not be available yet or, or the most recent one available on Hulu because you're going to get your 16 by nine, your sweet aspect ratio. <laughs> it's newer and I can give you a, I can give you a rundown beforehand to like, let you know kind of what's different. When I recommended this last, last week, I left out important parts. <laughs> um, I got kind of hung up on how the how the show works and explaining that, but I forgot to mention uh, the reason I brought it up is the most recent season, season thirty eight, was really 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 good. So they did a special thing. So they you know, obviously they twist every season. This season was twisted in a very specific way that is unlike every other season. Which is on previous seasons they they had this thing called Exile Island, which basically the winning team of a challenge. Their part of their reward is they could send one member of the losing team to an island to live on their own, basically, until tribal or until the next challenge, till, until the immunity challenge. That's what it was. So you could kind of like, you could exile a person from the other team and, and, and that could be really strategic if it's like the leader of the team or a person that kind of nobody likes. So they could see like, hey, this is what it's like to have life without this person in our in our team for a day. Maybe we should kick them out. So in the newest season, what they did is they they don't have Exile Island, but they they have a thing called the Edge of Extinction, which is a similar thing. It's a a separate island that you go to, but it's after you get kicked off. So once you get voted out, instead of going home, everybody goes to this island where you basically have to rough it, like eating rice and having nothing to do while the game is happening. <laughs> and then Oh, that's torture. Wow. Yeah. And then halfway through the game, they bring you back and then you have a challenge where one of those people can be put back into the game. And then everybody else has to go back to the exile island or, or sorry, to the edge of extinction or choose to go home. And at any point on that island, you can go over and raise the mast on the sail that's sitting on the beach and a boat will come and pick you up and you can go home. So it's this really interesting thing of like, do I stick it out for the chance of maybe getting back into the game or, you know, like how, how, how good is my determination? But yeah, which I added a really interesting aspect by, back into the show. But yeah. yeah, I mentioned the characters too. One of the things I wanted to call out, which is great, which is one of the hallmarks of the show is that the best players are not referred to by their first names. They are referred to by their last names. Kind of like a sports thing, I guess. I don't know. And so there's a a player called Cochran, who's one of my favorite characters on the show, one of the favorite players. He's like a total nerd and totally unaccustomed to, like he, he should not have been good at the game, but he's a huge Survivor fan. So that made for a really interesting season to watch. You should check out Cochran's first season. And then, uh, yeah, there's several others. And in this most recent season, there's a there's a character named Rick, but everybody called him Devins because that's his last name, and he he earned the the last name association thing. Interesting. Okay. Anyways, a bit a little more uh, tidbits I want to include last time and cool things, and I forgot about because I don't write notes and I'm poorly prepared for these things. But uh, yeah, that's why we have follow up. Here's the 
here's what I will say. Since I do miss our weekly movie night, it could be fun whatever season 39 is if we started watching it together and then we could have some more stuff to talk about. Like, Yeah, that's the way to keep this from feeling so overwhelming. Just make it a social fun thing. Yeah, declare bankruptcy and then you get one season every six months and it's one episode a week and it's, it is it is not overwhelming at that point. And you kind of look forward to the next episode, right? Yeah. I mean, the social aspect of television shows is the most important part for me. Like we would always... The water cooler thing. Yeah, the water cooler. Being part of the zeitgeist. Your zeitgeist. I want to be in your zeitgeist, Marshall. Aw, buddy, you're welcome. You're welcome (laughs) in my zeitgeist whenever you want to. (laughs) Okay, great. That's enough Survivor talk. Yeah, yeah. But you had another bit of follow-up that I thought was interesting. Yeah, so since coming to New York, I've been thinking, what are all the things that I should do while I'm in New York? And when you were here, we went and saw... Book of Mormon. And every time I come out of a show, I'm just, I'm on a crazy high. Like I love shows. I think it's just addicting. It's exhilarating. I am so inspired by the people that do that for a living. It's happening live in front of you. It's so cool. It's unbelievable. And I remember leaving that. And as we were walking home or or maybe when we got home, I started thinking, you know, what are all the other shows that only happen in New York that we should experience while we're here? And I got thinking, well, what about all the late night shows? You know, there's there's Fallon and Kimmel and... Kimmel's in L.A., isn't he? Oh, maybe he's in L.A. Yeah, like I, I couldn't remember who was in New York, who's in L.A., like Conan's L.A. Yeah, anyways, there's all, this whole distinction. So anyways, I started looking it up and I found that The Late Show with Colbert is here and... I was like, okay, well, let's figure out how to get tickets. And turns out the tickets are free. You just put your name on a wait list. I think it's a lottery system. I don't know the mechanics to getting picked. Anyways, we got tickets and so I went with friend of the pod Gabe Valdivia and we went on Thursday night which apparently they record two episodes they record Thursday night and Friday night on Thursday night so we got to watch two episodes being produced back to back so do they do one full episode and then take a break and then do the next full episode or how does it work yeah so this is what I found so interesting is they did it segment at a time And they were so involved in walking the audience through the whole process. So for example, Stephen Colbert would come out on the stage and he would just talk to the audience and explain, here's how this part's gonna work. I'm going to run out from that door. There's gonna be music playing. We're gonna show this on the screen. I will deliver my monologue. You all will be presumably cheering and laughing along. (laughs) And then I will run over my desk. We will stop, reset, and I'm gonna do it again for tomorrow night's episode. So they did it segment by segment, back to back. Uh, so two back to back monologues, yeah. two back to back interviews. Oh, okay. Which is very funny because his outro is he leaves the room. <laughs> so, yeah. so the first time he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to leave the room for this sign off. Like I, he runs through the audience and high fives people and then he leaves. He's like, don't leave. <laughs> I'm going to be coming right back in. <laughs> and he comes back in and does it again. High five the same people. <laughs> he He stood further back so that the camera would you know, capture a different segment of the audience. Oh, cool. That's smart. That's good of him. So anyways, it was funny. It was a good experience. The celebrity interviews aren't that interesting to me on late night shows. They they feel very surface level, not particularly compelling. Yeah, I'm here for the monologue. The the monologue was fun, but more so the just experience, like being a part of a studio audience was interesting, sitting next to the band. Where where were you? Where'd you sit? We were a balcony on the right side. So we were above the band. Oh, you're above John Batista or whatever his name is? Uh, we were watching the dynamics of the band and like some of them are just I mean this is a job and they were just fucking bored and they're like it's 8.30 on a Thursday night I want to go home like, you could just tell <laughs> it's just another show for them it's but just it's another show special yeah. for you does the piano player Batiste does he because because during Colbert's monologue he always does this really great prop work 
like invisible prop work, you know what I'm talking about? Like where he'll get, he'll like pull an invisible pad of paper out of his coat pocket and start writing on it with a pen. But when he's done miming writing on the paper with a pen, he doesn't just like, you know, let his hands go and go back to talking. He will put the invisible pad of paper back into his pocket or like drop the pen off uh-huh. screen. And then Batista always does a little thing on the, on the piano on the, on the high side if he drops it on the right or on the low side if he drops it on the left. Did you pay oh. attention? To, did he do that? Uh, if he did, I didn't notice. And it, oh, okay. Yeah, like you could go watch it again and watch just maybe focus on the band the whole time or you could focus on the showrunner and focus camera on camera people. The camera people. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so much the stuff. The like card us. holder. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, my eyes were bouncing around the whole time and and there's screens where you could watch how it's going to appear on television, and then you could switch to watching it live. That's so cool. I love the behind-the-scenes shit. There's all those things that like you watch and you infer, but you don't know for sure, right? It's like like watching Survivor. I'm like, I think that th- this reaction shot wasn't actually that person's reaction to the thing they said. I think there was a reaction to something else they said, and the editors put it in. Think about how all that behind-the-scenes stuff actually works, but to be actually able to go there and see... Like, okay, yeah, the cue card, cue card guy, like, stands right next to the cameraman off to the left. Okay, so that's that's how he does, you know, that's how that works. Or or they're using a teleprompter. Okay, I thought it was cue cards, but it was a teleprompter. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And since it's filmed and then released later that night, they edit it, obviously. So there were mess-ups and goofs. Yeah, I was going to say, are there errors? Okay, cool. Yeah, there's errors. And, and some of them are, are funny because it's a comedy show and like once a joke's been delivered it's been delivered and then he'll mess up and they'll have to rewind and he'll be like guys i'm so sorry i have to say this joke again i know you already know the punchline but please here. laugh as much <laughs> as you laugh. did the first time <laughs> yeah yeah it's a tough thing it's something to ask for but yeah yeah so we don't need to dwell on that but uh recommend it as an experience if people want to try it being a part of a studio audience and cool seeing behind the scenes i, I will say not to uh <laughs> compare myself in this podcast to uh stephen colbert and the late show <laughs> But it was interesting seeing the feeling a little bit of the energy in the room when they had to do two episodes. I don't know. I just there was something that felt so similar to the energy that I had. You and I haven't had to do this, but in the past where Bryn and I have recorded two or I think sometimes we even did three episodes in a row on the same day. And in your head, you know, okay, when this is being heard in the future by somebody that subscribes to this podcast, this will be a different week. They will be wanting a fun and exciting experience. They want our energy up. They want a great interview. But for us, we are doing this three times in a row. We're exhausted. We're tired of talking. Uh, we want it to end. And you just have to push through that. And you could see them doing two back-to-back episodes. I, I just felt a little bit of that energy in the room, which took me back to early days of the podcast. So a little bit relevant to what we'll get into today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about hard parts of doing a podcast. But first... Let's do some news real quick. Uh-huh. So we're not going to talk about it too much this week. We'll talk more next week because we have other things to talk about this week. But WWDC, dub dub, happened this week. And a ton of things were announced. There's a ton of hot takes out there that we are cold at this point if we were to add our own takes. But I think there's some esoteric stuff worth talking about that we'll we'll cover next week. But in the, in the short term, just so we can get our hot takes in real quick while the, while the getting's good... Uh, what's your favorite thing? What's, what are you most excited about from the announcements? Yeah. And maybe something that isn't like a 6K monitor or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not too interested in most of that. By 6K, I meant um, the 6K. resolution, not the price, but I guess it's well, the same. <laughs> both. Yeah. That's very convenient uh, that it is the same thing. Yeah, it's like they made the, the iMac Pro and with the 5K monitor, and somebody was like, wow, we're selling that for $5,000. <laughs> we should do another one. <laughs> oh, let's just keep going. 
Uh, okay, so the thing I'm most excited about from a product building point of view is Project Catalyst, which is, I guess, the official term for what was known as Marzipan last year. It's loosely the framework by which an iOS app can run on a Mac. Yeah, specifically iPad, I believe. Yeah. So they previewed a few new apps. Well, so today we have the chance to play with what are called Marzipan apps, which would be on the latest version of Mac OS would be Stocks, News, and Home, I believe are the three. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that there are just, it feels a little bit more like iOS in terms of the interaction patterns. Some are more successful than others, but yeah, yeah. Right. But you could see how one came from the other. For sure. And so they're continuing to push forward some more apps, first party apps like, uh, I believe music will, or I'm, I'm not sure about music, but podcasts will. I think Apple TV, the app on macOS Catalina will be a Catalyst application. So anyways, we're, we're going to start to get more information or experience using different use cases of where an iPhone slash iPad app is being converted to run on macOS. I think that it is particularly exciting because macOS has not gotten the love that it needs from developers because it runs on a different framework. I believe it's AppKit versus UIKit. and AppKit, there's just not as many experts on. The market isn't as big. There hasn't been as great of a success with the Mac App Store as there was with the iOS App Store. And this is, regardless of the shortcomings of what it means to have iPad interactions converted to desktop interactions, at the end of the day, it will, be, it will mean, in theory, more applications for the Mac that either would have never existed or would have been an afterthought for developers. So I'm excited to see how that turns out. And excited could mean maybe stuff is going to be shitty. Or maybe it's going to be shitty for a short period of time and then it will get better. Uh, but at the end of the day, from a product building point of view, it's exciting because, oh, like, you know, I was talking with people at work like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if you could do this or, or if you could just build this once and have this feature work on desktop and it communicates between all three. And, and the excitement around having more power and more surfaces for marginally more work is just exciting, I guess, for developers and, and people building products. There's obviously, we're, we're going to see how all this shakes out in terms of what the interactions actually look and feel like, how it evolves over the years, if it is good, or if if Catalyst apps on the Mac are sort of the, if they still feel like an afterthought and if they feel like, what, what's the word to describe this? the ugly step cousin. I don't know. <laughs> like if, uh, if they'll yeah, still, yeah, if they'll still continue to feel like that and, and be a punchline, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, the unknowns of that, those things are exciting to me. There's the corollary of, of when iPad first came out, all the first iPad apps just felt like big iPhone apps. Yes. So I imagine we'll go through a similar thing, but now iPad apps are their own thing. They have their own OS now. So yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a spate of, really terrible translations that will eventually mature into platform-specific implementations. Yes. How about you? What are you excited about? Oh, man. Uh, there's so much. I, I was trying to figure out what I should what I should do. I'm, I'm really excited about all the new, like, semantic colors in dark mode, and or that dark mode has kind of triggered, but I don't know. I'm excited about being able to automatically send all phone numbers that aren't in my contacts and to, to uh, voicemail automatically. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I get so many robocalls. I'm also really excited about the, the swipey keyboard because I use the, the Google keyboards. <laughs> oh, yeah. That feature that's existed 
uh, via third party for like four years. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm so happy to see that in the first part. I'd love to have just one keyboard because right now I have to have two because there's really nice um, one-time password code messages that you get. You can you know, it, it shows up above the keyboard. I think that's only available on the default keyboard. Anyways, stoked about all those things. But the coolest thing that I'm most excited about that I think is of the same level as your marzipan or catalyst suggestion is Swift UI. Mm. Holy shit, Brian. It's so fucking cool. When I wrote my first app or my only app, but like when I, when I was <laughs> first and only, yeah, when I was making my, my first app, the, the one that got me the gig at Google, I, w- I wrote it in Objective C and there were so many things about it that I was like, Xcode, you should just be able to figure out what I mean. Like I shouldn't have to go declare all these other things elsewhere. Like if I, if I say that I want to use a picker here, like don't make me add the delegate and the header and all this other fucking shit like this is stupid you should you should figure out what i mean by what i'm saying right uh-huh. and now that's how it works you don't have to <laughs> add in all this extra code you say yeah. i want a list and it knows what you mean by a list assuming you're doing everything with the with the stock uh, components right which is how it should be and so like it's going to open up uh, development to a lot of people who would be scared away otherwise myself included like it's just so much work to learn all that shit and now it's a finite number of kind of properties that you can learn and and there's so much you can do with a a very small subset of of what's available to you and you don't have to learn all these edge cases and weird dependencies that you would have had to learn just a year ago so i'm stoked yeah i'm on board it it made me want to dig in right away i've got the beta of catalina on my side computer but it is very buggy so i actually haven't been able to open a swift ui file yet i'll try again hopefully they just push up patches in the next week or two and I can get through that process. I'm too scared to put it on my computer. <laughs> yeah, highly don't recommend. Yeah, yeah, don't do not download the betas. <laughs> yeah, every year I'm so tempted, but it's just not worth it. Well, because they tell you what it's going to be, right? They tell you like once it's launched, here's how well it's going to work. But that beta, especially beta one, it does not work like that. The, no. you know, the pieces are in place, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. You got to wait till I usually wait till beta three or so if I don't, if not just the public beta. Yeah, no, that's probably a good strategy. And I, I know that it's not going to technically be the same thing, but this feels as revolutionary of as an of an abstraction as React was to web development. I saw people mulling over the fact that thinking about whether Swift UI could swap out rendering targets and target something like a web browser's DOM as a rendering surface. Like there's interesting ideas there, but anyways, conceptually as far as what I think this could do for developers like me who are not crazy technical but want to build things so desperately, uh, React was this massive, massive head start in terms of just the abstraction, the ease of use, the ability to compose things in a way that you can store in your head and not worry about the fine implementation details. Ugh, yeah, you don't have to look up documentation. Just it just write. feels like that. And for people like you and me, you know, we're we're technical, but we're not like computer science, like deep into the details kind of people. We just want to explore products and design products as quickly as possible. This feels like such a great tool. So anyways, I'm with you. I'm excited to dig in and like start learning something new. You know, this seems like a good time as ever to start learning something new. Sweet. Okay. So that's enough for news. We'll talk more about WWDC next week, but for now... Let's talk about some listener questions and do a little uh, little retrospective on the podcast itself. So meta, Brian. So Let's meta. Let's get meta. Yeah. So uh, we should, maybe we should start at the beginning. How did this podcast begin, Brian? Yeah, maybe some people know the story, but just in case 
people are are listening in and and are missing some context, I think it maybe is useful to know like uh, 300 episodes worth of context. We'll try and boil it down. No small feat. Yeah. So Design Details was originally a blog that I started in 2014 where I captured screen recordings of iPhone applications that had really nice little design details like animations or interactions or patterns that I found uh, intriguing. And I basically wrote about those patterns and interactions alongside the video and published those as blog posts. And so I started with Twitter. And then the next week after I did that first one, Facebook released the paper application. Yeah. Which is like a goldmine of interesting and intriguing, you know, patterns and and visuals and interaction details. Press F to pay respects. (laughs) And... I think that that second post ended up getting like several hundred thousand views. And so it was validation that people wanted that kind of content. I think the medium in which it was delivered was compelling where it's these looping videos. And I think I had it so that you could hover over a video and it would pause. You could pause at a specific frame and then mouse off to to keep the, the playing going. So you could kind of inspect a little bit each of those details. So anyways, uh, I, I ran that blog and did several posts. And at some point or another, Bryn Jackson, friend of the pod, just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> co-founder of the pod, he reached out and... Also friend. <laughs> friend, co-founder of multiple things, designer, co-worker, co-lots of things. Um, Bryn reached out and he basically, we'd met once before. And so this was sort of a, a new relationship ground being being built in real time. But he said, you know, I, I've been looking at these blog posts. I've I've been using them for research. What if instead of just talking about the details themselves, we asked people how they came up with those design details in the workplace? Like, how do they think? How did these things come to exist in in the world? And I had no experience at that point with audio production. I didn't know what podcasting was. And Bryn did. He studied this stuff. He knew how audio should work and how it should sound and how to make it good and how to record it and edit it. And he brought in all this expertise. And so... We just merged forces. And so the way we approached the podcast at the very beginning was a little bit strategic. So I had read at some point along the way that most podcasts don't make it past eight episodes. And I wow. don't know if that's totally true, but I read it and it stuck with me as like, oh yeah, this it's the same problem with sticking to a diet or sticking to a workout routine, right? It's like, that early momentum super easy, you get a rush out of it, and then you realize that it's hard, and then maybe you miss a week, and then you kind of let the whole thing unravel. So what Brandon and I did was we said, all right, we're going to record eight episodes before we even release the first one, just so that we could say, you know, we hit that point. <laughs> like, at the very least, we're, we're at average yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of volume of episodes. And so we almost did that. I think we ended up recording five over the course of like a December and January and at episode five, we started releasing them. And there was a couple positive outcomes from doing this. The main one was that we gave ourselves a lot of breathing room. So when we had five in the backlog, we released that first one. It meant we had a month before we had to make any decisions about whether we wanted to keep going, whether we wanted to record more. Like we just built in this huge buffer of time to decompress and reflect on it. And luckily, people started listening to it. So we just kept recording. The second thing was that those first few weeks we had time to digest the feedback like we didn't have to really iterate that quickly so people a few people listen they sent us whether they liked it or not we could think about it for a while without rushing to record the next one for the next week right away you know Mm -hmm. so i think that beginning was really critical for us 
And anyways, that's how the podcast started. So Brendan and I, the whole idea was to talk to the people that we looked up to in the industry, to talk to designers and uh, founders and engineers who were building the best digital products and just pick their brain, to use that annoying term. But we just <laughs> wanted to have a conversation with them. And we we were very intentional about trying to make it casual. We were very intentional about not having a script of questions. And we very quickly developed some quote unquote best practices. For example, like we always record in person because the vibe is better. We, at, at the beginning, we would record night nights during the week, but eventually we switched to recording on the weekends because the weekend vibe was just much more relaxed. Like we started figuring out some of those hacks more or less. And yeah, that was how the podcast started. So when I first met Bryn, he, he, it was at a birthday party. I think we were at a dinner and he introduced himself to me and he showed me this list of like 60 people that he had already signed up ah, to, the list. to do, yes, yes, yes. to do the podcast uh, for interviews and asked me to join the list, which was very flattering. And, but I was blown away. Like, and he showed me the names on the list. I was like, how the fuck did you get all these people? Sure. I'll be a part of it. Right. And, and I think that was <laughs> probably part of the strategy is like, getting the right people early so that, you know, it's like if you're making a movie and you cast Brad Pitt, like everybody else is going to be like, oh shit, Brad Pitt's on board. All right, I'm on board. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of a similar thing of like, oh, you're going to interview this person and that person. Yeah. Well, if they're say, if they say yes, then it must be legit. I'll say yes. Was that part of the strategy? That Yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot that piece, but we, we had a spreadsheet. I think we ended up having like a hundred and something people on that list of, yeah, ridiculous. You know, here's our baseline of some folks that are doing interesting work that we want to talk to. And we just started cold emailing. And I think most people ended up saying yes. And I, I don't know, this could get into another segment of like, people's common question is like why did design details work or how do how did it become a thing that people even listen to because yeah yeah starting a podcast can be hard so yeah i thought for this episode i could list a few things that i think we got lucky with and then a few of the strategic things so that list was certainly one of the strategic things where we came in prepared we knew who we wanted to talk to we reached out to them we built up a backlog of people who said yes and that was a lot of validation to keep pushing forward. The more yeses you have, the more yeses you'll get. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that would still be possible today. I think in general, actually, it probably would be. I think we found that designers in this industry in general are incredibly generous with their time and with wanting to give back to the community. And the way that the podcast has always been framed is like, how can we give back and share what we've learned uh, how can we expose the conversations that people like this might have with the broader world? And the people that we asked to come on the show were generally willing to do that. I think the blog was a little bit helpful at the beginning as well, where a couple of our guests, notably Wilson Miner, was the like such a, a person that we looked up to. And he was episode number three. And we were like, oh, my God, how did this happen? That was one of the names where I'm like, oh, shit, you got Wilson Miner. Yeah. All right. And when we met Wilson, we were like, so why did you agree to do this? He's like, oh, I, I followed the Design Details blog or I've used it for reference. And I was like, oh, shit, like this full circle. Yeah. So getting those first few guests to set the tone was really important. And yeah, like you said, yeses get more yeses. And once you have a few people on that other people will know, those other people are more likely to want to come on as well. There were also a few other things that we were really intentional about that evolved over time, but we knew that they would be super important at the beginning. So the first was high audio and production quality. This is a little bit silly because the way we started was not high quality. Some of our earlier episodes sound a little bit crappy, but we knew that we wanted to invest some money in microphones and we knew that we would need professional software to edit this. 
Luckily, Bryn came in with a lot of that experience and we knew the type of mic we wanted to look for. We didn't really have a budget at the time, so we did the best we could. But the software and, and thinking about how it should really feel comfortable in people's ears to listen to this for an hour and not have it be grading or have a bunch of background static, like that was something that we considered from the very beginning. One of the pieces, just side note, one of the pieces of feedback I get from new listeners pretty regularly is the audio quality is really good, like above other podcasts. So kudos to Bryn and to yourself. Well, on that note, here here's another thing. This is a little bit jumping ahead, but when we started recording, Bryn was doing all the editing and I think it took like eight hours or something for us to edit and produce that first episode. And, you know, you get faster, you learn the the tools and you build up some muscle memory. But we really quickly realized that there's no way that that was going to be sustainable. And so we got an editor and a producer and that was Sarah. So Sarah has Where'd been... Where'd you find her? <laughs> In the same room. Sarah's Bryn's wife. Yeah, or Bryn is Sarah's husband. There you go. And Sarah came in and has been editing this show for years at this point. And now uh, Drew is on board. Sarah and Drew are our editors and producers. And honestly, I think they're the only reason that this thing can continue to exist. Like they, the ability to take raw audio, chop it up into something that sounds smarter, smooth out the wrinkles of the uhs and ums and background noise and white noise like making that sound good is just so critical so yep yeah sarah and drew just uh make this thing possible so you'll recognize their names from the end of every episode where we thank them for making us sound sound smarter than we are yeah but in particular sarah i mean has been doing this for years and and she's been doing it for other podcasts as well at one point this was her full-time gig so you know that was just so critical for this and let's see here what are other things that i think made the podcast so i think we got a little bit lucky there's a little bit of a time and place element to this story with when we launched product hunt was also experimenting with a podcast discovery surface on product hunt and this was like product hunt heyday really really exciting times on that website not that things have changed but it was just earlier and there was like a really vibrant community of of our friends that were on there and so when they launched this podcast discovery surface we started submitting our episodes to it and those episodes were on the front page and i think that helped get some exposure early on so that was a, a right place right time and then that was paired with i think at the time when we started doing this early 2015 there was just a little bit of a void in the design podcast space there was a few people talking about design there was a few podcasts that had sort of started and died but i think the void that we were filling that people wanted was something that was more casual and that's you know been persistent from then till now is this is a casual show like we don't really script questions or when we had guests we never scripted questions we would always chat over coffee or a beer like that was the vibe that we wanted and that was a vibe that wasn't being filled by other podcasts which were maybe a little bit more like professional and here's a script of questions and yeah, it sounds like you're listening invisible. to radio yeah 99 yeah. radio invisible. lab yeah. yeah it is you can just tell it's this is a radio voice. <laughs> and we didn't really want that. We want it to be a conversation. Heavily produced and scripted and yeah, pre-planned. <laughs> Flying by the seat of our pants more. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are some of the positive things. But I mean, we could sit here and say like, ah, hindsight is so easy to identify all the good things. So let's maybe talk about some of the hard things, the bad things. Yeah. Yeah, so when I was thinking about this, a few things came to mind. One is... Well, I guess the the core listener question here is Aaron Miller and Joshua Shaw both tweeted at us. How do you manage to fit in a regular commitment like recording every week into your schedule? 
imagine it takes a lot of prep, editing, research, planning, and it does. And I think there's a few things that we learned here that that help. So first we had Sarah and, and now Sarah and Drew to edit and produce. That just took a huge amount of pressure off so we could focus on the content and less on the the like the execution, I guess. It's a little bit logistics. Logistics. Yeah, yeah. The second thing is just having a co-host. I think I've seen other people try to do solo podcasts and that and, and even this transfers over to startup land where having co-host accountability is the only reason that we got through certain weeks. I don't know. You've been doing this for almost a year now, Marshall. Like, have you had weeks where you just didn't want to record? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But but my responsibility to you, the the, the promise I made that, you know, we would do this is uh, something that keeps me going. It's like, yeah, having that accountability is is a huge driver. Yeah. Especially on Tuesday, when Tuesday night rolls around and I have to do you know, additional edits to the to the show to make myself sound less stupid and write all the show notes and listen to the show a couple times to get all the show notes down and find all the links and stuff. It's like, ah, oh, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to chill. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we record this nowadays, mostly on Saturday afternoons and it's like, we're giving up our Saturday afternoons to do this. So there needs to be a passion for it. There needs to be uh, accountability for it. Cause I know when Bryn and I were doing this, there were so many weeks where the only reason that I did it was because I knew Bryn was going to do it. And Bryn did it for many weeks because he knew I was going to do it. And we just leaned on each other to, and, and you know, you and I get to lean on each other to push through those weeks where you're just tired. You don't want to do it, but you know that someone's counting on you. And that's, you know, same thing for starting a startup or even, you know, sticking to a diet or <laughs> a workout plan is like having some sort of social accountability is really important. The schedule accountability helps too. Cause like, I can't push it past Tuesday night, right? Like once the show's recorded and edited and everybody else has done their jobs, like I got to write those show notes because the, the audio is going to go up whether there's show notes attached to them or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, so yeah. it's like that thing's just going to automatically flip over at 5 a.m. So I better have it done by then. Okay, so uh, Eileen Wong, listener Eileen Wong, congratulates us on, on the 300 episodes and asks, what were some of the low points and how did you overcome them? What would you do differently? Yeah. There's one night that stands out oh, so vividly. So for people who don't know, when Brendan and I first started this, we released two episodes a week for a really long time. And the way that it worked was we would record uh, every Monday evening and every Wednesday evening. And then that episode would be released the next week. So we released every Monday and we released every Wednesday. Uh, at the same time, I joined Facebook and I had the commute. And so what Monday and Wednesday looked like every week for many months was going to work, taking the shuttle home, getting back at around 7 or 7.30. Taking the shuttle early too, because you're down in Menlo Park. That's like an hour commute each way at least. Yeah. And it's like a new job. And I think at the same time, Bryn started a new, uh, at, at Sidewire, which is a startup. And so we were just both working so hard. So we'd get home at 7 or 7.30. I think we recorded at my, my apartment back in those early days. Bryn would come over at 7.30. The guests would show up at 7.30 or 8. You know, we'd sit down, get to know the person a little bit, start recording at 8.30 or 9. And we would record till 11 o'clock at night or 11.30 or midnight. I think we had some recordings that went even later. And then you get through Tuesday and then Wednesday you do it again. You're like, oh my God. And we did that for months and months and months. And there was one night where we, it must have been a Wednesday night because I came out of that recording, you know, 10, 30, 11, our guest finally leaves. They're tired. They're, they're probably annoyed that they are staying up that late on a weeknight. And they're in your house too, right? Yeah, like, yeah they're in, at this point we had moved over to, to Bryn's apartment where we had a studio. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but they left and 
I had a little bit of a breakdown. Like I, I can't remember the exact way I was feeling, but I remember where Bryn and I were standing when I just said, dude, I don't think I can do this show anymore. Like I'm exhausted. We're doing so much work twice a week. In addition to everything else. In addition to everything else, uh, we were doing the spec network. Like we had multiple shows on the podcast. Things were going crazy at, at Facebook and you know, the, the solution was a little bit obvious, but we had gotten so, we had believed so much in the schedule as a reason for why the podcast worked. Like every Monday and Wednesday, we do it twice a week. We never miss a week. We never miss an episode. It's always a new person. Like we believed so much in that schedule that we missed the obvious solution to the incredible stress it was putting on us. Uh, and the solution was, how about we record once a week and we record on Sunday morning? cut it in half move it to the weekend yeah and so that's what we did so that was probably one of the hardest parts was just that schedule was brutal it was a lot of content it was very fun we got to meet lots of cool people but we almost gave up the show and so the the solution was all right let's just do one a week we release on wednesdays but we record on the weekends and i honestly think the quality of the show went up after that not only because Brynn and i weren't stressed but we were no longer recording at 10 o'clock at night we were recording at 1130 on a Sunday afternoon when our guests would come over, have a coffee with us. We'd make breakfast sometimes. Like we would just chill and then say, all right, hey, we've been talking for an hour. Let's move on into the studio and record for an hour. And then you wrap up at two or three in the afternoon. Super easy. So good learnings there. Uh, Don't fall in love with the schedule. But yeah, that was one of the times we almost gave up. So you were able to maintain both a new schedule, but still a consistent schedule and your motivation for doing it just by cutting it in half. Yes. And did you lose listeners because of it? I think it's really hard to tell from analytics because we dropped volume in half. I think the qualitative feedback we got from existing listeners was that it reduced the stress on them as well. To listen to every single one. Yeah, Yeah. especially in today's world. Like imagine your favorite podcast releasing twice a week. Who does that? I think listeners wanted it to be once a week. Like, you know, they have other podcasts that they care about too. And they have a day that they care about that podcast when it's released. And so if we are taking up two days, then they don't have as much reason or or as much desire to get both. So maybe they just listen to one of the two. So anyways, yeah, I think it was a net positive, not only for our lives, but probably for people who listen. Because I think that's sort of the formula these days. There's a few podcasts that obviously release at a higher volume, but in general, the formula is like once a week. And that I think people are used to that. It's predictable. And and people like predictable. So there's another challenge, Eileen, like low points was, and Marshall, I don't know, we, we should talk about how this is going to affect us, but Brynn and I were interviewing people every week. Oh, and this is how it ties back to the late show is how do we keep this interesting every single time? Yeah. Because it's so easy when you get used to it to just start going with the motions. Like, oh, here are questions that that are always easy for us to ask, that always get a hopefully interesting answer. Like you start to build up this mental library of the shortcuts, right? Yeah. And when you start taking every shortcut, because it's easy, then you are going with the motions, you're checking out, you're not actually listening to what the person's saying. And, you know, I'm sure that happened to us at times. Like if I were to go back and listen to old episodes, there's probably a bunch where you could hear that we weren't super into it or we had checked out a little bit, which isn't fair to our guests. It's not fair to listeners. So I think that's been... It's just an honest challenge of doing the same thing every week and keeping it interesting for ourselves. Like selfishly, how do we make this fun to do every single week? Well, if it's not fun for you, it won't be fun for the listeners, right? Right. And yeah, I don't know. How are you feeling so far, Marshall? Because you're almost a year into doing this. Like, do you feel like it's still 
interesting and fun? Have you found yourself maybe thinking that you're going through the motions? Uh, no, I don't, I don't feel like I'm going through the motions any more than I ever did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I think about the future of this, like I could probably continue doing this until people stop listening. <laughs> like I, I don't foresee yeah. quitting anytime in the future and certainly not in the near future. Yeah, and it's not hard for me. And, and there's an interesting aspect of it too, with you having moved away. Now this is like the one time a week I get to talk to my buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, I'm excited Saturday rolls around. I get to chat with Brian, you know? Yeah. So yeah, for me, this is, this is still easy to do. It's, it's the Tuesday nights. It's not the creation. The talking is the easy part. It's the documentation at the end of it. That's the hard part. Right. And even think we, we have Drew and Sarah to, to carry a lot of that weight as well. So, mm, oh, totally. Yeah. If we had to edit as well, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> nope. That would be nope. tough. Not at all. I, I mean, I might take on some of that because usually what happens is Tuesday uh, around 6 p.m. my time, I'll, I'll get the first bounce that Drew will send me. And that will have usually some things that I've said that I didn't want to say in it still. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it, he's two hours ahead. So he's, it's eight o'clock his time. So I have to listen and we do these long fucking episodes. So like, it's usually about an hour later that I get back to him, which is like nine his time with, with some edits. And I, I try to like, you know, not do anything for him past midnight i don't want him to like be making edits past midnight I'm, uh, you know i try to be considerate of his bedtime whatever that happens to be but yeah so, so there's definitely this like stress of like when i get home after work on tuesdays i need to listen to the podcast as soon as it's available make any edits suggestions to him immediately and hope that those are all of the edits that i have in mind because if i listen to it later and it's after midnight his time he's probably already asleep and i can't, I can't get any new edits in so there's like this pressure so i might i might take on some editing responsibilities just for the fact of being able to like do oh, these yeah. last minute edits myself right right um, without uh, bothering him but yeah that's the main sense of pressure is just the time crunch because there is no wiggle room in our schedule as you say that like this the schedule can be a little bit brutal still sometimes more so for you and drew than it is for me but i would call it that this is why we have sponsors yeah sarah and drew get get paid marshall and i get paid for our time but sarah and drew get paid for their time as well and that applies to all of the shows on the spec network like that's why we have sponsors is so that people can continue to do this and not you know feel like anyone's being taken advantage of like this is right uh, it, it is a business and we're all it's a lot of work <laughs> we're doing sponsors to keep the thing going that's very much a real factor here is it takes drew days to edit the episode yeah. like we do this on saturday sarah usually gets the 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 master done by sunday morning and then it's not till tuesday that i that i get the bounce but he's working that whole time you yep. know he has a job too during the day so <laughs> yeah it's nobody's full-time job either it's crazy yeah. yep takes a village or in this case, four people to to produce an episode. <laughs> a Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, a Hamlet, sure. Cool. All right, well, we have another uh, listener question. This one comes from Tom Moore. He asks, have any guests gone on to become life-changing connections or friends? So so for me, T. Chang was somebody that I kind of met through Brian, and then we interviewed her on the show and had, a, I think, a great interview. I learned a lot, and it was really interesting. We also talked about Endgame, which was cool. Yeah, I mean, the few interviews that we've done since I joined the show, they've definitely changed my thinking on how I, I approach the things that where they're area of expertise like yeah I, I've, I've gotten a lot of value out of them certainly in my position <laughs> I've extracted the value out of this person yeah, I've, I've <laughs> that's sarcasm by the way people <laughs> yeah I, i'm a vampire yeah. of ideas <laughs> just yeah like, 
Oh, well, that's kind of a nice nice visualization. Mm-hmm. I'm an idea vampire. Yeah. I want to suck your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what do you think? Because you have far more interview experience. And I'd like to take this opportunity to say, Brian, I think you're an excellent interviewer. That's oh. one of the things I took away from listening to the podcast before I was on it is like, you're really good at asking questions and listening. So good on you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take the compliment. So let's see here. Have there been life changing connections from guests we've had on the show? Well, Tom... <laughs> You were on the show, my boy. So we had Tom Moore <laughs> on the show, episode 245, Sandwich Principles. If you want to go listen to our chat with Tom, he's software engineer at Abstract. So there we go. There's a connection. There we go. Yeah. So I think we've definitely met friends. As far as life-changing connections, I would have to call out that we... Well, first of all, when we interviewed Christophe Tozier, this was way back in the day. This was episode 23. We had Christophe Tozier, Jeremy Goldberg, Jeremy Goldberg, and George Kedenberg on the show. That was May 6, 2015. I joined Facebook July 2015. And that's because Christophe, uh, he and I got to chatting and he kind of opened my eyes to the opportunities that were happening at Facebook. And he referred me to, to Facebook and basically helped me get my foot in the door. So yeah, certainly life-changing episode there. Yep. Then when we started Spectrum, we needed to raise money at some point. And the people that we'd had on the show, some of them, I won't name names, but some of the people that we've had on the show ended up becoming people that we had an avenue to go and say, like, look, we have a little bit of shared background. Here's a new thing we're working on. Can you help us either get an intro to an investor or or are you yourself interested in investing? And that happened with a few folks that had been on the show. And, you know, those connections were only possible because like, hey, we, we've gotten to hang out with you for a few hours in the past. And I think, you know, for people listening, I don't know if that's frustrating or not to hear that, but I think it's just a sign that putting in the time to build those relationships can come back to be really helpful in the future. I don't know. I don't know how to talk about that without sounding just super spoiled or, or um, you know, I think some people get frustrated by how networking, how valuable or, or important networking is versus just the merit of the thing. Mm-hmm. But if we're just being honest, like, yeah, we interviewed people and we built that first point of contact and then we were able to follow up a year later in many cases and get advice from them or or just have a warm enough intro to say, hey, can you help us get in touch with somebody else? So to answer your question, Tom, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, life-changing connections. Cool. Here's another question from okay. listener Leo. He asks, will some of the previous guests come back reflecting what has changed and not for them in the industry since the time they interviewed? Yeah. You know, as Bryn and I started doing the podcast, we realized that there was this cool opportunity to build up a timeline of the way people thought in the design industry, where we could circle back around with people and see how their viewpoints had changed or what new jobs they had. That ended up happening several times. Now, I guess this is a reminder, like we do have a lot of people that we've talked to in the past that would be great follow-up conversations. You know, it's been years at this point since they've been on the show, so we could basically just catch up. So yeah, I think to answer your question, Leo, we definitely should work on getting some previous guests to come back. At the same time, uh, there's so many people that we haven't gotten to talk to yet. It feels like it would be a shame to miss out on meeting new people. But Yeah, so much new blood has come into the industry since then. New blood, yeah. So yeah, we should, have, we should have some repeats, but uh, I would probably prioritize, like, let's let's make sure we get new people on as well. Cool. Marshall, we had a question from Hari Hara Sudan on Twitter who asked, could you let us know what the best episodes of Design Details are? Uh, because now it's a huge investment in time to check all 300 episodes. Sounds like 
Hari is a new listener. So yeah, yeah do you want to share what the top episodes are for people that want to shortcut to like, I guess, a jumping in point? Yeah. So, um, well, if you go to spec.fm and go to the design details show, we have some suggested episodes for you to listen to. And you can check those out. But by uh, download count, I can share our top 10. Yeah. And yeah, list the number so people can just search the number. I'll, I'll work my way up from, from 10 as, as normal top 10 <laughs> things should go. Yeah. Okay. So number 10 is episode 143. The title is Design Systems So Hot Right Now featuring Kari Saarinen. Number nine is episode 197, Chillophobia featuring Rachel Bean. Number eight is, hey, this is exciting, A episode 271, Principles of Design. I was on that episode. Hey! <laughs> Finally, <laughs> top 10. We noticed that today. Yeah, so yeah, uh, uh, just a side note, side note, all of these episodes are in the 100s, which was before my time on the show, except for this one, 271, Principles of Design, which is, I think, my favorite episode we've ever done. Yeah, that was fun. And the downloads would agree. So that's number eight. Number seven is episode 169, Invisible Unicorns, featuring Michael Lomans. Number six is episode 178. Which is a, a weird one here, to be honest. Yeah, this is a best of, of 2016, part one. <laughs> yeah, no guess, just a best of. Actually, well, we should just call, <laughs> we should call out that we used to do best of the years. So if you wanted another place to start, you can go on the Spec FM website and just search for best of, and we did like a four-part best of 2016 and I think a four-part best of 2017. Yeah, so we just like smashed together everything that happened those years. Yeah, so <laughs> if you're wanting to, to check out the back catalog, just check out the best ofs for those two years and then start listening when I joined on episode 257. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so that was number six. Number five, episode 163, Guardrails featuring Ben Wilkins. Number four, episode 111, Claim to Flame featuring Vicky Tan. Number three, getting down to the top three, Brian. Number go. three is episode one. Whoa, 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 wait, pause. Okay. All of the top three are in the 160s. I need to go back and figure out what the hell happened here. All right, yeah. continue. That's yeah, just weird. Have, yeah. Back to uh, backs, yeah. Almost consecutive. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, number three, episode 166, Ambient Struggles, featuring Maylee Koo and Andy Matushak. And number two, here we go. Penultimate. Da, 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 da. So the last one was 166. This is episode 168, Auto Goats, featuring Kuhn Bach and Jorn von Dijk. Probably pronouncing that wrong, but give it my best shot. And number one, Brian Numero Drummond. Uno. Da, 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 da. Can you hear that? <laughs> number one is episode 165 white space friends featuring Lori kaplan which oh, is a, a great episode so fun so fun. yeah so that's our top 10 one of which is recent but yeah all of them are from episode one uh 111 to 197 so yeah okay so basically all of the 100s but that was that was <laughs> yeah, the peak what years happened in there yeah the the golden years the golden months yeah but but we got back in there recently so that's that's a good thing hopefully we will replace this top 10 with our own episodes Brad. that would be fun it's gotta give it time these have been around for for years so yeah so here here's how i would wrap up like the meta conversation of 300 because I don't know. I guess this has maybe skewed more towards like self-congratulatory. Hopefully we told the background that maybe some people didn't know. I think what's been really, really rewarding for me about this podcast is that it's 
just constantly changing. Like we're not really stuck on any particular format. We don't, we're not doing this for a company. You know, we have sponsors, but it's not like this is hosted by or, or produced by YouTube or by GitHub. So we can do whatever we want. And that's why when you joined, we changed the whole format. You and I are constantly thinking of what are new segments we could introduce. And that to me is what's really exciting about this thing is that I, there's not a reason why it couldn't exist for forever because it can be fluid enough to fit what's interesting for us at any point in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I did this for years with Bryn and I'm so glad that we had that time and he decided that he he basically gotten out of it what he wanted to get out of it and you know he and i someone asked how long did it take for me to move on when when bryn left the show and the answer is like there wasn't moving on i guess you know like i really cherish that time that we did all those interviews i miss a lot of those interviews but at the same time like he moved on to something that's more interesting to him and you and i have taken the show in a different direction and that's more interesting to us mm -hmm. and if that continues to happen in the future i'm totally open to it you know if, if someday you say brian this is an interesting and I'll figure out what to do, but there's no reason why this can't just shapeshift to be something that evolves with our careers or our interests or our lives. And just as a sidebar, I thought it would be interesting because, you know, when Brynn and I were doing the interviews, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have guests on, like repeat them every year and ask the same questions and see how their thinking's evolved or what new jobs they have or what they're working on. I think Vanity Fair does this, or maybe it's like Vogue magazine. They have a YouTube channel. I'll put it in the show notes, but there's a, there's an interview with Billie Eilish that is one year apart and they ask the exact same questions and get different answers because it's been a year since the last time she gave those answers. Yeah. So that kind oh. of thing is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And selfishly, we kind of get to do that for ourselves, you know? at some point we'll listen back to episode 256 when you joined or 257 be like oh we are so naive look at our opinions on this one thing and i think it will be really eight rewarding point grid. Whether, everybody <laughs> knows it's 10 now yeah when we switch to the 10 point grid <laughs> yeah but i'm i'm very much looking forward to and you know we can do that today like with listening back to some of the interview questions from early on i cringe at some of the things i asked and then there was there's things that i'm just so glad are recorded it's been really really rewarding in that way cool and then yeah hard parts aside this has been a five-year side project and side projects are hard they take a lot yeah. of work a lot of love especially from from sarah and drew and you know from holding each other accountable so for anyone else that's listening that's like ah oh, i wish i had a design podcast sidebar there i did look up other design podcasts on iTunes, because when you view ours, there's a list of other podcasts that people subscribe to. Mm -hmm. I will say this, there are not very many. So that tells me that there's probably still room for people to try new things, bring in new perspectives and ideas. So anyways, for people listening, just know, you know, it takes a ton of work, but it's totally possible and find yourself a co-host and, and a way to edit this in a sustainable way. And there's so much room for, for more voices in the design podcast space. Please add your voice to the chorus. Yes. And we will try to share that. We will try to share as people, you know, we did this a few weeks ago. We noticed a new podcast for tie designers. Like I would love to keep sharing stuff like that for people who aren't like us or live somewhere else or have an entirely different experience. Like, yeah, let's get everyone to listen to all those as well. So, yep. Into it. This is a community and we share. Oh, <laughs> speaking of sharing things, Brian. Ah, uh, yeah. Should we? It's time for cool things. Oh boy. Here we go. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So last week, I believe it was last week, Spotify basically just published an experiment to the app store is what it feels like. I saw someone tweet 
this feels like somebody Spotify did a hackathon and the winner of that hackathon got to be on the app store. Nice. Which is kind of a nice framing, uh, but it's called stations, which is a new standalone app from Spotify. My hunch is that this is very much an experimental product because within the Spotify application, there is a surface called stations. So they made an app for that surface. And I was going to tweet like, it doesn't make any sense. Why is this a standalone app? It should just be this surface in the main app. And I think the answer is this is probably experimental and they're learning and this is just a faster way to try new ui patterns and implementation details so anyways the app is called stations and it's it's you know radio that sits on top of your spotify collection of preferences and things that you care about so when you spin up the app it has two two patterns that i like so the first is there's a default playlist called favorites which sits on top of your spotify account so you can just start a radio of playing of things that it knows you're going to like and it starts playing by default and this feels very similar or uh, to the way snapchat sort of revolutionized opening directly to the camera where this is a music app that opens directly to playing a song which no other music app that i'm aware of is doing like you always have to select a thing to get started this just starts and then the second piece that i like is there's just fun interactions like there you can tell they're exploring new patterns uh specifically what they do is your playlists or your sorry the stations that you create are a list but there's this static inset black arrow halfway down the left edge of the screen and when you scroll that arrow points to what's currently playing and you get a nice haptic when that happens you get the background color changes i don't know i I guess i haven't seen this in another app before so it feels new and and intuitive and that black inset arrow since it is black on an oled display it actually looks like part of your device yeah so there's this like weird physical aspect like oh that arrow is like actually hitting these things i don't know that's the way it feels so it's it's a nice effect so yeah that's my cool that's my cool thing for people that want to play around with this i i would be so surprised if this didn't work its way back to the main app but what do you think this feels like a pandora play right like this feels like a a shot across the bow of pandora because it's like basically tuning stations to your preference it's a very simple app there's not even a mini player it's just like a there's not even like a now playing screen it's just a little mini player at the bottom yeah and it's like just kind of tune it and then let it go which i guess would be kind of their discover weekly or not discover weekly or like my my favorites or i forget what they call these playlists but yeah this is a cool little app it feels really nice too it's well made yeah it's basically a one screen app pretty much i mean i would say that spotify just historically has never done a great job with radio in general like i think they've at one point radio was a tab among the bottom tabs of the app and that's gone and it's kind of been relegated to the your library screen as a list item that goes to a sub view so there's just not a whole lot of energy there and their past efforts have never really felt that great but it's so clear at least from the success of pandora that this is a desired behavior for people which is give me things that I like and then expand upon that with other things that I might like. And Spotify has been approaching that differently. They've been approaching that with those curated playlists, like your release radar, your discover weekly daily mix, daily mixes. Like those are great ways to approach it. And radio is sort of just another way to solve that same problem. So seeing them try that again in a way that expands beyond those sort of core, I guess, five or six curated playlists per person. Like, so for example, I made a, a playlist or a station 
and just a bunch of random ass artists that wouldn't normally fit in any one of those categories. They would never get algorithmically put together. Yeah, yeah. Or you could put together, uh, I mean, it's it's radio, right? Like, I think people get the the desired outcome here. So yeah, it does seem like it's shot across the bow for, for Pandora and hopefully it works out. I, I would love to see that discovery element continue in new ways and in new surfaces beyond my Discover Weekly. Unless you're listening and you work at Pandora, in which case I hope this fails. <laughs> if you work at Pandora, keep doing what you're doing. My my parents love Pandora, so. A lot of people do. Cool. That's a cool thing. I haven't checked it. You know, I heard that that happened, but I, for whatever reason, I thought it was like a, an Android app only or yeah. something. I just never checked it out. Well, I think the meta of this that I love I just get excited when I see big standalone app companies release new apps. I'm like, ooh, I want to see what they're trying. Like, what's new? What? What? How? What, how are they thinking about interaction design, or in this case, like type and color and opening experience? Like, I love seeing how a monolith will try something new on a new surface. Which was why, you know, when Facebook Paper came out, that was an exciting thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Like those kinds of things are are fun moments for me to try and peek behind the curtain a little bit. So I like this. Plus, this scratches my, you know, simple, beautiful, uh, just like a really bold statement of an app. Like, here's what you do in the app. And like, that's it. That's all there is. It's like, pick a station and listen. And it's going to play automatically. Like, yep, yep. It's such a decisive app. I love that kind of shit. Yeah. Cool. Cool thing, Brian. Thanks. Hit me with yours. Okay, so I'm going to share a book this week. I've been sharing lots of uh, watchable media, but uh, I'm going to share a book. And this is my favorite novel of all time, Brian. I don't know if oh, we've talked about this before. Really? But yeah, I didn't know it was my, your favorite one. This is my favorite. It's in the cyberpunk universe. It's uh, It actually started the cyberpunk craze, if I'm not mistaken, or at least was one of the kind of founding fathers of, of cyberpunk, um, along with like maybe like uh, Philip K. Dick. But it's a book by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash. I fucking love it. It's amazing. It is a combination of cyberpunk and kind of dystopic future with really deep world building and interesting thought by the author about like, you know, what is an extension of the world? I think it was written in the 80s. And it very much feels like, you know, if you like watch those old like 50s style like here's what it's gonna look like in the future and, <laughs> you know and it's like a lady in the yeah. kitchen and she's got fancy microwave or something like that but you know and, and everybody yeah. talks like this and this is uh, junior is going to school today and it's gonna, you know <laughs> he's like taking a floating bus <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like a 50s idea of the future right uh -huh. this is like an 80s idea of the future so think blade runner that kind of thing okay or, or like back to the future too maybe <laughs> that's more of a utopic version of this but uh cyberpunk is i think probably one of my favorite genres it's such a cool world to be in especially because everything is like tech right it's a it's a extension of tech and there's all these interesting ideas that authors come up with like so for example in this book uh, one of the main characters is a, a courier basically for like fedex and she uh, rides a skateboard instead of like a motorcycle or a bike or something and the skateboard has special wheels on them the wheels have a hub and there is no surface of the wheel it's just a series of telescoping rods with little pads at the end that reach out and act as like shock absorbers. So you're not rolling on wheels, you're rolling on these hubs that, that kind of reach out for the road ahead of it. So you, you know what I mean? Like it's ideas like that, like super cool things. It's got a whole kind of like Oasis thing. If you read Ready Player One, there's the, yep. the, the metaverse, right? Is, is their kind of online hub that everybody jacks into. And it, there's also this um, overarching theme of language and memes 
that uh, was very much ahead of its time uh, for this book. But uh, I'm a huge fan of language, as anyone who's listened probably knows. And uh, yeah, this this very much ties into all those things that that I find to be my jams. So yeah, Snow Crash is is my favorite novel. So read it. It's it's long. Do you want to give a like teaser of the plot? You've described the setting and how it feels, but what is it? Yeah, I don't want to get. Okay, so the main character is. This is another reason why this is one of my favorite. The, okay, so the main character's name is Hero Protagonist, which <laughs> is so good. But hero, like H I R O. He's half black, half Japanese, like samurai hacker, uh, if that makes any sense. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome main character. And he teams up with this. Uh, 15-year-old female courier named YT, and not like YD, but like YT, which stands for yours truly. And they have like kind of this unlikely partnership to uncover some shady shit that's going down between this L. Ron Hubbard type character and huh. this shady character named Raven, who's who's kind of like if this were a movie, he'd be played by like Jason Momoa or something. <laughs> okay, is like a huge, huge guy with long, flowing dark hair that is like incredibly deadly. So, so he's kind of the bad guy character that is the it is the uh, threat. And but there's this kind of yeah overarching theme of there's this drug that's out there, a new drug called Snow Crash that is basically lobotomizing people and uh, they're trying to figure out uh, who's doing it and why and how it works. And yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of it. So it's unlikely partnership trying to uncover this secret behind this strange new drug that kills people or, or like vegetizes people. Love it. And all they do is see some snow, the re- reference of snow, like on an old TV, like that, that shh, you know, white and black bits. Yep. The people who are infected, like that's all they see is like they're, they're shown this snowy screen and it hijacks their brain. Yeah. It's really interesting. Oh, okay. But it's such a cool, it's such a cool book. And it sets up the world in such a way where you'll have these little chapters and you'll go and you'll meet a character. And the whole point of the character is they're, they're, they're like a side character and they don't really have all that much to do with the main storyline other than they like, there's, there's one tiny bit where the Venn diagram overlaps. And so you get this little side story that doesn't really matter, but it helps build the, the world. And you get this really great insight into this strange landscape that's laid out before you. It's, it's a very foreign, dystopic future, but it's so well illustrated uh, through words. Um, Did it ever become a, a, a movie? No. So I was looking this up because as I'm so as I'm listening, I, I pitched my screenplay last episode. And, and as I'm reading through the story, I'm like, is this a scene that could stay? Is this go like? Is this a necessary part? W- would this make it into the movie? Would I change anything? So I'm, I'm kind of thinking about potentially like adapting this just as an exercise, adapting it to a screenplay. Oh yeah, okay. And so I, I looked it up. We were talking before this, the, the unsolicited redesign of, <laughs> of the screen screenwriting world. Uh, I'm branching out, Brian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so I looked it up and apparently it has actually been adapted. It was optioned but never created. It was adapted by a guy named Joe Cornish, who also wrote some other screenplays that you'd be familiar with, such as The Adventures of Tintin and Ant-Man <gasps> and Attack the Block. But yeah, Ant-Man, if you're familiar with the Marvel series, uh, MCU, 
yeah, he wrote that one. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. So he's got a decent, he's got a decent track record. And actually he was in Hot Fuzz, which is interesting. I'm looking at his IMDb page here, but yeah, so he wrote this thing and it's because it's such a technological thing, technological movie that would require a huge budget from a major studio just to make it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not surprised it didn't get made, but it, it would just be an interesting exercise for me to, to go through and try and see what it's like to adapt a story. Well, let's call that future follow-up. Let me know if you do it. Oh, sure. Yeah. I need to get through listening to it again. Every time I listen to it, through again because it's a long kind of meandering story that like I said there's like lots of little side stuff that I forget about every time I listen to it I forget about like oh yeah there's a character named Jason Breckenridge that we meet for a chapter yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of relearning it again as I read it this time. Uh, side question, how do you decide what book you want to read next? Like whether to revisit something or pick something new, what genre do you look for? I'm like an action-adventure, mystery, sci-fi, fantasy kind of a guy. So I'll do a nonfiction every once in a while, but for the most part, I listen to fiction. Okay, well, within that, how do, how do you pick what next? I usually let the Audible recommendation engine have a shot. Every time I finish a story, I'll go back and I'll, I'll have like a credit or two left over and I'll, I'll, I'll give it its shot. And sometimes it, it recommends some good stuff. Like the last book that I read, or I think I told you about, it's called Infinite. I don't think it made it onto the podcast. We, we talked about it, but I think it got edited out. But yeah, I read a book, uh, I read a book called Infinite uh-huh. uh, that was just recommended to me by the Audible thing. So sometimes I'll look back through my back catalog of my library, which I have like a couple hundred books in there. Jesus, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been to Audible customer since like 2008 or something okay and i've i've had like the recurring monthly credits that whole time so yeah i have a lot of books <laughs> okay cool cool things brian cool things hopefully people like that but if you if you've read snow crash before and you like it let me know what's your favorite part if you haven't read it check it out if you like the sci-fi cyberpunk vibe because it is it is the grandfather of all cyberpunk and it deserves the title i just reordered it i won't get to it for a long time because i'm so behind on books <laughs> i've recommended like eight books between now Dude, and then for you i just can't i can't keep up but i am fine building a backlog at home so at least it's here and i can have some sort of visual reminder so cool cool and we also hope you enjoyed this episode let us know what you thought. I was sort of looking back and thinking, you know, how, how has the podcast evolved? And we got to talk about it a little bit. And then even more recently, I wanted to call, you know, episode 288, we switched the title formula, like how we name episodes. And I feel like there's just still so much we could learn about how to try and make this thing grow or how we could address different audiences, what kinds of guests could come in. I'm really excited for things to keep changing. So, you know, for folks that are listening, we love getting feedback. We ask for a lot of feedback almost every episode. I think we make sure to ask for it. And, and we really do love the direct messages that come in. So if you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought. You know, episode 300 is, is a lot. It's a lot to get through. If you've listened to a bunch of them, let us know. That's kind of cool to hear sometimes. We really appreciate that. And of course, you know, for, for getting through this episode, we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. So our Twitter is at Design Details FM. Send us a message anytime or just tweet at us publicly. We will try to respond uh, to the DMs. We sometimes don't respond, but we're reading all of them and we'll try to you know address them in, in actual episodes. And of course, thank you to Sarah and Drew. I, I can't say thank you enough to how much they contribute to making this show possible. Yes, thank you, Sarah and Drew. They produce, edit, master, make us sound smarter than we are, and ultimately help us ship this show every week. And they also help us ship more podcasts on the Spec Network. That's at spec.fm. Be sure to check that out. And of course, before we go, thank you so much to Abstract and uh, all of the sponsors who make this podcast possible. Abstract is a design workflow management system for you and your entire team. 
and more broadly, your company. You can get started today trying that version controlled source of truth for all your design files at abstract.com. They have a 30 day free trial for you and your whole team. Once again, that's abstract.com. So thank you, Abstract, for making this show possible and uh, contributing to a lot of the past episodes. If, if folks are curious, we've had a lot of Abstract people on the, on the show. Just go to spec.fm and search for Abstract. You'll find... <laughs> All the all the podcasts that they've sponsored, but also the the shows where we've had their team on. So, mm-hmm. anything else, Marshall? I'm excited to putting a three before each episode uh, going forward. That's gonna be a nice transition. Now we now we get the three hundreds. Yeah, here's to four hundred, Brian. Well, here let's if people are still listening, let's do, set a little bit of uh, some goals or, or things that we'd want to accomplish by four hundred. Let's say a uh, hundred yeah. episodes, two years from now. Okay. What do you want to have happened uh, with the show or goals, aspirations? I want to interview a lot more people. I would like to do a live show. Yeah. That was my mind list. Like an in-person show. Those are my two things. Like, yeah, I want to have I want to have more diversity of thought through interviews. And yeah, I would like to do a live show. I think that'd be really fun to meet people in person and have like have the vibe of a live show. It'd be fun. All right. Well, you stole mine. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. More interviews. Live shows in other cities would be really interesting. I don't know how we yeah. could pull that off. I think between New York and San Francisco, we could like get enough people to show up at a at a venue. Yeah. That would be fun. International tour. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Uh, if anyone in Australia wants uh, design details. Yeah, like where do we have people listening? Do you, do you want us to come to your town and do a show? <laughs> Basically, probably for just you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be, we'll do a dinner. We'll have a dinner and record the conversation. That would be fun. There you go. Yeah, keep it cash. What about in life? What you, what's happening in two years? Uh, in two years, I will have gotten a promotion. I'll, I will be one level higher I'll have launched a bunch of really cool shit that people around the world use, and I will have grown my team to include even more incredible people that make me question my ability to do my job. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I would say I hope that in two years, if we, if for some reason I come back and listen to this specific segment of episode 300, I will feel a sense of growth that I've learned uh, whether that's you know through getting promotions and having like an outward demonstration of having learned more things, or just by listening to myself talk two years in the past and being like, oh, <laughs> that guy's an idiot. <laughs> that's what I say all the time. Yeah, that would about feel... you. No, <laughs> well, no, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> Every six months, I'm like, I'm, I, I feel like I've shed my previous skin, and Bolted. I look back at that person, and I go, "Ooh, what were you thinking?" So it's yeah. a good thing that I'm documenting all of this in perpetuity on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. What could go wrong with having all of the ideas that are bad be published forever <laughs> on the internet? Yeah, nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. All right. Well, thanks so much, Marshall, especially for letting me sort of go through the memory of this, you know. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't know if he's listening, but Bryn, my boy. <laughs> Buddy Bryn. It's been a, it was a great ride for the first 256. <laughs> we had good times. Good times. Great oldies. <laughs> cool 105. That was my uh, hometown station. <laughs> uh, so smooth. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great sign off. <laughs> All right. Well, until All right, next Brian. week. Yeah. Yeah. Catch you later. Bye.